Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Let me do a brief amount of housekeeping run off the top here, and then we'll dive into the show. Today, we're slightly different than sometimes. Our buddy Mike Griffith typically joins us on Wednesdays, is going to join us today, but a little earlier in the program than normal because, as I'm speaking, the kind of first moments of the NFL scouting combine are taking place, not the actual workouts themselves, but some of the media availability. Zion Logue, the former Georgia defensive lineman, set to speak today. Mike's going to be a part of that. So we're going to get him on and get him out of the way so he can get settled in and enjoy uh, that here uh, coming up around 1030 Live. Then we'll have that for you on the Dog Nation YouTube page and everything else. We also have a couple of very special guests a part of the program today. I'm going to tell you more about that here coming up in just a moment there as well. So we're busy doing a lot of different things today and a lot of fun stuff on our program. But let me begin, though, this way by going back to something I briefly said yesterday, that if you go back to the 2022 season, 2023 NFL Scouting Combine, Georgia was a massive part of that discussion. Um, you know, Nolan Smith got so much hype, got so much, uh, you know, talk. And and the idea, you know, the Georgia guys themselves were just massively uh, highlighted as part of the NFL scouting combine, much the same way they'd been the previous year, too. And what we kind of wondered on yesterday's show is, you know, is this destined to happen again? There's 11 guys the combine from Georgia. That's one less than a year ago. There are probably a smaller number of Georgia players currently projected to be in the first round of this year's draft than they've been in the past. Although the the Kamari Lasters, you know, perhaps the Lad McConkeys have a chance to change that and join what we believe will be Marius Mims and obviously Brock Bowers in the first round. So we've been kind of left to wonder, okay, how big of a topic of conversation will Georgia be this week? And we got a really strong indication yesterday. Some of the NFL coaches who show up in Indianapolis, they're there to watch and see what's going on. At least in terms of the conversation they are a part of, Georgia is going to be just as much the talk of this year's combine as it perhaps was a year ago. No better example of that to kick things off than Nick Sirianni. He is the Philadelphia Eagles coach. Of course, the Eagles have been famous the last couple of years with their GM, Howie Roseman, of drafting seemingly as many Georgia players as they can get, trading for DeAndre Swift there as well. And Sirianni talked yesterday about exactly why it is that the Philadelphia Eagles are so attracted to Georgia guys. This is what Nick Sirianni said. Toughness, right? Toughness. Obviously, the guys that we've we've drafted and, and have on our team from from Georgia are um, highly talented, right? We have two first round guys in, uh, in Jordan and then uh, Jalen, another first round guy in Nolan. We got a, a you know a third round guy in Nicobe, a fourth round guy in Keeley. So they they're they're tough, they're physical, they um, they know how to win. Um, and on top of that, they're really good football players. And so we look forward to continuing to develop those guys. And so, yeah, you know, I, you look at it from afar and say, hey, these guys know how to work. These guys know how to practice. I think that's a – and these guys these guys are tough. I think that's any – anytime you can say that about another coach, like that's – hopefully you understand that's a high praise that I have for, for Coach Smart and, and what he's done at that program and, and obviously grateful for that because we have some of those really good players on our team. Yeah, the last part of that doesn't need to be said. Kirby Smart and any other coach, if he could, if he could have their players praised for how hard they work, how tough they are, and how knowledgeable they are about what it takes to win, that's like the most dreamy thing you'd ever heard said about your players. And the fact that a guy like Sirianni is saying that about former Georgia players, you better believe that sounds great to the ears. If you're Kirby Smart or if you're a fan of Georgia, you love that. There is no more perfect and probably no more accurate level of praise for the former Georgia players who go on to the you know front end of the NFL draft than what the Eagles coach says right there. But let's bring the elephant into the room here for a moment. I'm sitting right now in the Atlanta area doing this show, kind of the epicenter of Dog Nation, but also a lot of the people who are near me right now, a lot of people who are also Georgia fans are like, why can't the Atlanta Falcons say that? You know, it's great to have the Philadelphia Eagles saying that, and so many Georgia fans have kind of embraced the Eagles because of that. 
But there are a lot of other Georgia fans who wonder, how come it's always the Eagles saying all these nice things about Georgia? How come we can't get uh, our home state team, the Atlanta Falcons, to occasionally be saying some of those kinds of nice things as well? Well, guess what? Yesterday, perhaps there's a little bit of a piece of evidence, a little bit of an indication for Georgia fans who have sort of felt like the Atlanta Falcons haven't done enough to embrace UGA over the years. Perhaps brand-new coach Raheem Morris indicates that's all about to change because he also joined Eagles coach Nick Sirianni yesterday in heaping a lot of praise in the direction of Kirby Smart and the Georgia Bulldogs. This is the brand-new Falcons coach. Jealousy is my relationship with Kirby Smart. Right? Let's go win some championships like that guy. Um, they've done nothing but formulate a great program. And, again, it starts with the people. You know, some good faces back here, Jordan. Sorry, Jordan. But um, just watching him win championships – it's been fun to see. It's been fun to see the acquisition of great talent coming out of Georgia. Um, I know where, I'm, where, I'm, where I live now is, is a big Georgia contingency. So, like, I got to get my bulldog hats and be ready to support those guys and what they're doing. I really like that. I really do. And I think it means something. And I know that there are people who think that's sort of dumb or whatever else, that, you know, this notion that the Falcons don't draft Georgia players, they'll cite examples. And when that has happened, and a lot of Georgia fans come back and say, well, it's still not enough, and it's still not, you know, perhaps at the front end of the draft enough, and it's perhaps not as frequent as it should be. And, look, I'm not here to tell you the Georgia fans who feel that way are right, but I do believe in some moments there are, you know, kind of a concept of sort of the wisdom of crowds a little bit. And if enough Georgia fans feel slighted by their hometown, home state NFL team that they are a little slow to embrace the Falcons throughout history – to me, there's sort of something to that. And the fact that uh, a guy like Raheem Morris, who you know I, I've known who he was, obviously going back to his time as Bucks head coach and previous uh, stint as uh, the, the interim coach of the Falcons, to me, it, Raheem Morris kind of comes from an honest place. And the fact that Raheem's like, yeah, I'm jealous of the success that Kirby Smart's had. I want to have that here with the Falcons, which is a great thing to say. I want to embrace Georgia because so many of our potential fans are also Georgia fans. I got to tell you, throughout the years, Falcons have not said that kind of thing enough. And it's almost like they forget what their roots actually are. The reason they wear red and black is because Rankin Smith, the original owner, big booster and supporter of the University of Georgia. In fact, go back and read in the 1960s how mad Georgia Tech fans were that the Atlanta NFL team was donned in red and black. It's a very controversial thing back then in sort of an early day of media. So the idea that the Falcons are embracing Georgia a little bit more, at least the, the lead voice of the Falcons, uh, Raheem Morris embracing Georgia a little bit more, sounding a little bit more like teams like the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. I think for a lot of Georgia fans, that ought to be viewed as a very good thing. And it's also a reminder that just like a year ago and the year before that, apparently the Georgia Bulldogs, once again, going to be a big part of the conversation at the NFL Scouting Combine. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We are live on video all over the place at 10 a.m. We start even earlier than that, 945, first and 15, dognation.com, and on the Dog Nation app. Uh, we are uh, Radio Athens Sports Radio 96 The Ref podcast, wherever you find them, including the world-famous dognation.com. Just lots of ways for you to connect with us and be a part of our program today. And I am so thankful for our friends at Breda pest management who make it all possible the official pest control provider of uga athletics and i was just talking a moment ago about you know georgia fans are also falcons fans you know matt Breda is a perfect example of that from Breda pest manager just great sports fan who kind of just cheers for all the hometown teams and you know that's what you want to do you want to do business with sort of a hometown company that's what Breda pest management has been for multiple generations uh, throughout, you know, in business since 1975. In fact, they've been so successful and so recognized for the long-standing track record of great customer care. They're now the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics. I'm telling you, that's that's a big deal. That is no easy designation to earn, but that's the uh, sort of the the prize that's come the way of Breda Pass Management for the success they've been a part of. And it's not just a prestigious thing to say, hey, I can do business with the company that does business with UGA. It's also that sense of because of their resources, because of their track record for great service and track record of taking care of folks, I can also get some leverage out of that too. I can put more money back in my pocket when I make that switch. 
their size, their strength, you know, their history. When you make that switch to Breda Pass Management, you're going to put more money back in your pocket just for making that decision. So reach out. Make sure you do that today. Once you find them online, it's BredaPass.com. B-R-E-D-A, BredaPass.com. One more time. B-R-E-D-A, BredaPass.com, the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics. So slightly different format for us here today. We've got a couple of great additional guests coming up later on. I'm going to tell you more about that. We've got a really interesting statement by ESPN about Georgia that I sort of feel is just sort of flat wrong. We're going to talk about that here coming up in a little bit. But as I mentioned, the NFL scouting combine is actually beginning here right now. We heard from NFL coaches yesterday, some uh, you know prospective draft picks speaking here today. One of those guys the former Georgia defensive lineman Zion Logue. Mike Griffith is going to be there in Indianapolis covering that for us here at dognation.com. So in light of the fact that Logue is speaking in a few minutes, we want to bring Mike onto our show a little early. So let's do that right now, talk to him about everything that's going to go down in Indianapolis this week, the outlook for the former dogs who are about to uh, become pros. So let's do all of that and more with Mike here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pass Management. and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead. Here's a DogNation.com insider. Say hello to Mike Griffith in Indianapolis. I know this is an event that he loves and always good to get his insight there. And some of the stuff we've gotten from any of the last couple of years has been really, really strong. Mike, I know your time is limited, so I want to be respectful of it. Let me begin where I just was. On yesterday's show, I talked a little bit about the um, way in which Georgia had been such a hot topic in the last couple of NFL scouting combines. I sort of wondered aloud, just given the fact that there's one fewer guy this year than there was a year ago, in terms of the projected first-round picks, maybe a little less than we've kind of gotten used to, I'd kind of wondered, okay, how much of a topic would Georgia be in this year's combine compared to previous years? But when you listen to what Raheem Morris just said, what Nick Sirianni, the Eagles coach, just said, we at least have an indication right now that Georgia has a chance to seemingly be discussed this week in Indianapolis in sort of a similar fashion to what they were the uh, last couple of years. Is that sort of your takeaway in all of that? Yeah, and in, in, in obviously better fashion than a year ago. I remember the prevailing storyline last year was Jalen Carter being arrested and, and not being able to appear. So uh, it, in some ways, uh, much more positive with certainly Brock Bowers is going to be a guy they're going to talk a lot about this week, B.A. We'll find out how much Brock is going to do and at the combine. I mean, this guy's only four months removed from surgery. And yeah, he played in some games, but testing out at your peak level, he may opt to wait a couple more weeks for Georgia Pro Day. Now, I know he's a competitive guy and I expect him to do some things, but I think strategically he would be better off waiting. Uh, now, Lad McConkey is a guy, on the other hand, that I think will run here. I think he could run really fast. And if he breaks 4-4, low 4-4 number, high 4-3, Lad's really going to get in the discussion. So those two guys will be discussed a lot. Amarius Mims will appear here this week. Uh, this is a guy that's 6'7", 340, with only, what, 17% body fat. Interestingly enough, uh, Carson Beck has been talked about. He's not here. But already people are asking and talking about Carson Beck maybe being a first-rounder next year, the big deal that he got at Georgia to stay, the Lamborghini. Uh, this is the new wave when you've got a talented quarterback like a Carson Beck. you got to pay to keep him. So there's plenty of Georgia talk here. Uh, later in the week specifically, though, you're going to hear a lot more about the Bulldogs today. As mentioned, Zion Logue, the only one to go here at about 1030 this morning. Let me do a couple of these things rapid fire. We heard from Joel Klatt yesterday who believes that Brock Bowers should not last outside the top five. He had him going pegged to a Jim Harbaugh and the uh, L.A. Chargers. Do you see Bowers likely getting drafted that early? And based on the, I guess, the early chatter there in Indianapolis, you know, are we talking about Brock Bowers as sort of a middle of the first round guy or are we talking about Brock Bowers as a front end of the first round type guy? You know, really hard to know, Brandon. It's it's that deal where all it takes is one yeah, coach to fall in love with you. And anyone that's watched Brock Bowers closely uh, realizes this guy is special. But sometimes NFL teams can outsmart themselves when it comes to measurables and height and weight and what's his hand and how tall is he and what's his wingspan and what's his 40 time. And, and they can kind of outsmart themselves. You only get one first-round pick. But uh, for those that have been paying attention, and Jim Harbaugh would have firsthand experience, by the way, uh, Brock is a really special guy. So I like that projection. Uh, if Harbaugh passes on him, though, you're talking about a tight end 
in, in college, they were able to use him. But how much would Brock be able to dominate at the NFL level? That's where the questions come. How does his body size and his physique translate? I know you probably saw the same picture of Brock next to Rob Gronkowski that yeah. I did. And, and he's not as big. And, and I don't think that was good for Brock in terms of value. It almost, Brandon, I hate to say it, but it almost seems like at the Combine, they're looking for ways to pick at these guys. Totally. You know, when, when when it starts in recruiting, and Jeff Centel writes about all the great things they can do, it's just the opposite in the NFL Combine. They want to talk about what they can't do. Remember Jake Fromm's hand size was a big deal all of a sudden. We didn't know anything about that at Georgia. But once they get here, they go over every measurable, every injury. I'll tell you this. I've been here this morning asking Florida State guys that opted out how they felt about that. I'm going to ask them about that moment and, and see what they say and where their accountability levels at. We'll have a story about that on Dog Nation. Uh, Marius Mims, one of those guys I find fascinating. I think by looks, I mean, he's just awesome. I mean, you know, I'm talking about how he looks. It's just amazing. And frankly, I thought he played at a really high level here uh, this year too, but he's only played a limited number of snaps, has battled some injury. A lot of the mock drafts I'm seeing sort of have him projected kind of back into the first round, which you know kind of makes it one of those things that sort of could teeter one way or the other. Any early chatter on Amarius Mims right now? Well, for sure. I mean, this is a really deep tackle class. You could see as many as five or six of these guys go in the first round. Certainly Andrew Thomas has panned out well for the New York Giants. You look at Andrew now, and he's one of the highest-rated tackles in the league didn't start out that way, but he's really grown a technician. Then on the other hand, you have the Isaiah Wilson effect. Remember Isaiah? He went late in the first round. He was another guy like Amarius, uh, you know, wins the beauty pageant, but but Isaiah didn't love football and, and, and we didn't really see him do much. I think how Amarius shows how he interviews what his coaches say going to be very important because there's nothing not to like about this guy. Even though he only started seven games to your point, when he played, he played extremely well. I'll be interested to see how his physical goes. Remember, he was one of the two guys, along with Bowers, that had to miss the Orange Bowl. He was still there for his team, but had that ankle. I'll be interested to see if he tested, if he tests here and what he does. I want to finish with this. You're about to hear from Zion Logan. I know you'll be bringing that to us on the Dog Nation video channels, dognation.com, things like that. To me, Mike, the fact that you go back to 2022 draft, that's three first-round defensive linemen for Georgia. You know, last year, you make case to Jalen Carter, a defensive lineman from Georgia. He may have been the most talented player in the entire draft. You know, this year, just one defensive lineman from Georgia even at the Combine. I find that to be a little bit telling. And, you know, for me, it sort of speaks to a really big need for Georgia. You're not always going to have the Jalen Carters. You're not always going to have the Jordan Davises and the Trayvon Walkers. I totally get that, Devontae White, too, for that matter. But rebuilding, replenishing yourself with the defensive line, to me, that is the biggest offseason story for Georgia. you got to be something closer in 2024 to what you were in 22 and 21 when it comes to defensive linemen. You know, how about that with Lowe getting ready to speak, the current state of the Georgia defensive line, kind of trying to get back to where it was in those national championship seasons. Yeah, well, you got to put it right squarely on the shoulders of Nazir Stackhouse and Warren Brinson, and, and you've got to hope that Georgia can have that 2021 effect. You know, Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt, uh, they were likely headed for the NFL draft, and then they decided to stay another year, Brandon. And I know Jordan Davis is a guy that's near and dear to your heart. You identified him very, very early in his career before a lot of other people were talking about him. You said you thought he could be a difference maker, and he certainly was. I think he grew into a guy that, that you want to put in the statue. When I think of the 2021 team, I think about Jordan Davis being the iconic figure uh, and maybe Brock Bowers more 2022, but Davis so big. Now, can we have a, a history repeat? Can Nazir Stackhouse and Warren Brinson come back and raise their stock like Jordan Davis did and, and like Devontae Wyatt? Uh, because that was absolutely pivotal. If those two guys don't come back for their senior year, there is no 2021 title. And if there's no 21-20 title, I don't think there's a 22 title. So I think about Davis and Wyatt and their decision to come back is one of the most pivotal things in Georgia football history. Now, can Nazir and Warren, do they have that upside? To your point, Georgia was not as dominant. They fell all the way to number 18 in the nation and run defense. And that might sound good to some people until you realize that they were number one in the country 
three of the previous four years yeah. and number two the other year. And to your point also, that was the biggest difference in Georgia football last year was that defensive line was not as dominant. You've got to go. So really quickly, uh, remind us of some of the stuff you've got coming up. I know Kaylee Manziel is going to be on hand there as well, but remind us of some of what y'all have coming from Indianapolis here this week. Well, right now you got podium interviews, right? So I've talked to a couple of the Alabama players about T-Rob and what they had to say about that, about the Saban retirement. Talked to the Florida State players about opting out. Talked to a couple of the Clemson guys about the opener and how ready they believe Clemson will be if this game could be like the 2021 Clemson-Georgia game. Pretty confident group of Tigers, I got to tell you, Brandon. And, and again, the Georgia players, for the most part, they'll be here Thursday and Friday. Today, Zion Logue is the only one this is done by position, so we're talking to defensive linemen and linebackers today. That's why there's only one Georgia player. You get into Thursday and Friday, and we're going to have four Bulldogs Thursday, four on Friday, I believe, and then two more on Saturday. And to your point, uh, Kaylee will be up here. We'll be live streaming some, some stuff from here. You'll want to check our YouTube channel, and certainly we'll have a couple of specials as well as stories posted on dognation.com. Mike, great stuff. Thanks for uh, joining us there from Indianapolis. We look forward to your coverage. And, of course, back here again on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Brady Pass Management again very soon there as well. All right. Thanks, B.A. Later. Good stuff there from uh, Mike Griffith. Glad to have him make some time for us. Not easy when you're in a in, – in the industry, we call that being in the field. Uh, when you're in the field like that, not easy to uh, – to kind of maneuver around and join the show. He's obviously there for a job to do a task and, you know, talk to Logue a little bit later on. And as he said, I love the idea of talking to Clemson players about what's going to happen when Georgia opens the season against Clemson this year, the Bama players about their time with T-Rob. All that stuff's really good and really viable and not easy to kind of, you know, sort of incorporate a uh, interview into all of that when you're out there doing that kind of stuff. So I do truly appreciate Mike's time there on that front. Now, by the way, we are not done with great guests on our show here today. Coming up in a couple of moments, we're going to have a couple of uh, former Georgia players in the show, you know, 20 or so minutes from right now. We're going to bring on Jake Camarda, part speaking of the 2021 National Champions. Uh, Jake Camarda was a part of that. We're going to have Jake on the show here in a little bit, and a good friend of his, Josh Moran, a former Georgia player there as well. He has a fascinating story to tell. You may know his story a little less, but it is no less interesting. Uh, we'll hear some of well, what they have to say. We'll talk some football with them. And they've got a big event coming up, too. They are helping to promote. So we're going to give them a little bit of a platform to do that on our program today there as well. So Josh Moran, Jake Camarda, a couple of former Georgia players on the program here coming up in a little bit. Prior to that, though, Let's see if we can kind of piece the show back together a little bit. Normally, we do Around the Doghouse before our first guest. Today, we'll do Around the Doghouse here now. I want to piggyback off something that Mike and I were just talking about. Mike says, and I, the parallel is certainly very interesting, that that in 2021, when Devontae Wyatt and Jordan Davis made the decision to come back to Georgia, that was the thing that kind of propelled a great level of success. It's a little bit like... Nick Chubb, Sonny Michelle coming back for 2017, and to a certain extent, Lorenzo Carter and Davin Bellamy as well. Um, when those guys returned then, it made an SEC championship college football playoff appearance possible. When uh, Davis and Wyatt sort of decided to forego NFL futures, at least briefly, to come back to Georgia, once again, an entirely different threshold of achievement was unlocked by that decision. And I think that's an important thing to sort of speak about because in this past year, you know, I'd say the defensive line for Georgia was not quite – what it maybe needed to be, at least based on the national championship standard, right? I mean, that's what it kind of comes down to. Based on sort of a national championship standard, Georgia probably fell below that a little bit. And I would say it's not a coincidence that because of that, uh, Georgia sort of fell below the national championship standard a year ago. I personally believe that the biggest offseason story for Georgia right now is replenishing that defensive line, rebuilding that defensive line, getting back to being what Georgia has been at its national championship best when it comes to the defensive line. But it's important to note, apparently, not everybody agrees with me. I thought it was really interesting, and I like when ESPN does this. There's a lot that ESPN does that I don't like. This is one of the things that ESPN does that I do enjoy. They'll ask questions of their what they call way too early top 25. All of this is essentially, I think, meant to be just a conversation starter, which when it comes to college football, we're always thankful and happy to have anything like that. It's just fun part of this sort of talking season time of year of, of just finding talking points and sort of kicking them around and debating them. The other day, ESPN was talking about the biggest concern for Georgia going into spring practice. I, I, I thought this was um, – 
a little bit surprising. The thing that that ESPN mentioned here for Georgia was not the defensive line, which I believe they're talking about the what they call the uh, departed defensive stars, really sort of focusing in on the defensive secondary. Uh, the writer here is Mark Schleybaugh. Mark obviously knows Georgia really well. He says that Georgia's pass defense was great again last season, ranking sixth in the FBS in yards uh, allowed per attempt. He says, but the Bulldogs have to do some reloading in their secondary. Mentioning Javon Buller being gone, Tyke Smith being gone, Kamari Laster being gone. And he talks about guys who stick around, Daniel Harris and Julian Humphrey. Of course, uh, Humphrey nearly transferred, as he points out. Dalen Everett being here, uh, Malachi Starks being here, and a guy that Connor Riley mentioned yesterday, Janelle Aguero, ready to step up. So I have to admit that I was a little bit surprised to see ESPN when it only is going to focus in on one question for a team like Georgia, focus in on defensive secondary and not what I would view as one of the other more pressing issues. In fact, I think you have a couple of issues on this team that you would probably discuss before you got to defensive secondary. Because the truth is, you know, there is an element of trust the coaches involved with all of this. There is that element of you know, Georgia has had a stellar secondary so frequently that surely they'll be able to do that again. But beyond that, this is more than just hoping and wishing. This is also a situation where legitimately, without question, Georgia's current secondary, with some unanswered questions involved, but Georgia's current secondary has one of the very best players in America, regardless of position. And that's Malachi Starks. And for all the attention, rightly so, that you know, uh, Caleb Downs got when he almost transferred to Georgia. That's not meant to obscure the fact that Georgia already had one of the best safeties in America in place in the in, in, in the person of Malachi Starks. And Starks is no less of a player simply because Caleb Downs this offseason, including here on this show, has gotten some discussion and some attention. The, the, the fact is Malachi Starks is an outstanding player. And a secondary that includes Malachi Starks, I'm not sure I could raise that as a huge concern. Even though Kamari Laster has to be replaced, and even though the cornerback spot opposite of Laster at the, in the eyes of some fans in 2023 at times left something to be desired. But look at the overall talent level that the Georgia secondary currently possesses. You know, Janelle Aguero, as Connor Riley so astutely, I believe, pointed out yesterday, you know, I think he's ready for a bigger moment. You've heard good things about K.J. Bolden. Freshman at that level, hard to keep off the field. If that's true for Bolden, uh, it could especially be true for Ellis Robinson. We're going to talk more about Robinson again later on this week. And the fact that Humphrey chose to stay at Georgia, that was a big deal. Almost maybe kind of reminding you of, we talked about Marius Mims a little earlier, when Mims chose to stay at Georgia, when he could have transferred to Florida State. Ultimately, I guess, got Florida State in some trouble with the NCAA. But the point is, is when he could have transferred and didn't, that ended up being a big deal. Maybe Julian Humphrey's decision to stay at UGA could be a similar big deal. Daniel Harris, kind of the same type of deal. Harris could have transferred there as well. We thought at one point in time Harris was transferring. Then it was clarified, no, that he's not, just because it's not like the Michael Scott thing of, I declare bankruptcy. you got to do more than just declare your intention on social media. You've got to actually file paperwork. Harris never did. His decision to stay at Georgia, once again, that's good news. You know, This is the type of talent level where I think solutions can be more easily found. And as long as you got you know Kirby Smart, and, you know, Will Muschamp still hanging around the program and the kinds of hires like Dante Williams and Travaris Robinson that Georgia's made. You know, the idea that Georgia's secondary could be a really huge, significant concern. You're going to have a hard time getting me to fully buy into that. But that's not because I don't believe that Georgia is uh, without concerns. As we said before, we think the biggest overall concern is what do you do with the defensive line? And you know, Mike talked a moment ago when he was on the air with us about, you know, you got to get Warren Brinson and uh, Nazir Stackhouse to be for you what uh, Wyatt and Davis turned out to be in 2021. And in a roundabout way, I almost think some of that could be a little bit unfair. You know, I don't think you have to sort of peg and say, Stackhouse, you got to be the guy. Could be him. But Stackhouse, you got to be the guy. You got to become the first-round level player, or Warren Brinson, you got to be the first-round level player. I don't think it's necessarily fair to sort of point out those two names and say it's got to be you. I would say their decision to return as veterans certainly gives them sort of an outsized impact potentially on this Georgia defensive line. But in terms of the sort of elite front-end style performance that you need, maybe it's Stackhouse, maybe it's Brinson, maybe it's somebody else. But the point is it's got to be somebody. It doesn't have to be you know Jalen Carter, most talented player in the draft, or – 
you know, three first round picks, including a number one overall guy, the way that was a Trayvon Walker. The air doesn't have to be quite so rarefied, but it does have to be a little more robust in terms of the overall performance than it was this past season. And Kirby Smart, to his credit, if you want to go back in time here for a moment, Kirby Smart, to his credit, did sort of foreshadow this. You know, he talked about the numbers last year. He talked about what he kind of described as sort of the lack of the, what is it, game record, whatever phrase was used. You know, Kirby Smart let us know that the overall standard for the 2023 defensive line might have supposed to be or might, you know, was expected to be a little different than it had been in 2021 and 2022. In fact, I want to go back here to just before the start of the 2023 season, Smart making that pretty clear at the time. Let's get a reminder of that. Yeah, we're not as deep as we've been. Um, we don't have the, the depth that we probably have had. Um, maybe that's a luxury compared to other people. I don't know. I, I think we, we, we've got to get deeper in that position. And the only way to get deeper in the position, you can't get anybody at this point. There's nobody coming out for waivers. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to grow the younger players and get your older players to play at a higher, a higher level and even be able to play more snaps. So uh, without the same depth we had last year, um, we're going to have to be in better shape, and we got to get the, the freshman ready to play. So that was Kirby Smart. I mean, you can say what you want, but that's honest. And that was a that was sort of an assessment of kind of where things looked to begin the season, and throughout the season, that's kind of what it was. But in 2024, it needs to be better. I'm going to say a statement that's oversimplified and probably too hyperbolic, but there's still, I think, directionally some truth to this that as the Georgia defensive line goes in 2024, so go the Georgia fortunes. Carson Beck could be a Heisman quarterback, but if the defensive line is good, not great, Georgia might not be a national champion. You know, Georgia could have a big-time playmaker emerge to replicate some of what Brock Bowers has provided for the program the last couple of years. But if Georgia's only okay with its defensive front, you know, once again, you're probably talking about someone else winning the national championship. For all the attention other spots are going to get and the sort of natural attention that the defensive line, I should say that the offensive side of the ball always seems to get. People just seem to like talking about offense more so than defense. Georgia's a program, the nucleus of it has been what happens up front. The 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 epicenter for the action has been a, a defensive line that became impenetrable during the run uh against the run and in 2021 also became dynamic to the point of producing 49 sacks and a slew of tackles for loss that's what georgia at its best has been georgia fans want to see georgia back truly at its best in 2024 and we would say the defensive line is a major major part of all of that truly something to watch as spring practice looms around the corner and the 2024 season comes up shortly after that Take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So a lot of times on video, live viewers will sort of join us during the middle of the show, and they're like, what's going on here? You know, uh, we transition from around the doghouse to our SEC Through. If you're just joining us, our buddy Mike Griffith joined us much earlier in the show today. He's in Indianapolis for the NFL Scouting Combine. Uh, gave us great stuff on kind of the early thought there as we're really sort of just getting going there in Indianapolis. Mike's going to have really good stuff. Dognation.com, the Dog Nation YouTube page. All throughout the week, Kaylee Manzella, part of our coverage there live from Indianapolis there as well. But if you want to hear another voice other than mine on today's show, you are in luck. We have a couple of really good guests going to join us around 10 minutes or so from right now. Uh, Jake Kamara, the uh, the punter, the the, the kicker from uh, one of the kickers from Georgia's 2021 National Championship team, a guy who had a terrific career at UGA. He's going to be here. And Josh Moran, another former Georgia player, a good friend of Jake's, uh, a guy who was a walk-on and a part of the program and really had kind of a very fascinating run through college football we're going to hear kind of some of his story here in a little bit and jake and josh are also a part of a big event coming up in athens that we uh, want to give them a platform to promote so we'll do that here coming up with them here in a little bit we like to try to you know former georgia players current georgia players and they got stuff going on we try to help them out if we can we've been blessed with a great platform and so we try to use that for good as much as possible and when georgia guys got stuff going on we try to help them out with that and so that is the case here coming up with Jake and Josh in a few minutes. Prior to that, though, how about we go cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. We heard from one of our dognation.com commenters a little earlier, just got back from a lure of the seas. And family, 15-year-old, 16-year-old kids, uh, the whole family going together there. That's what we love about these Royal Caribbean cruise vacations. It is something for the whole family. In fact, you see the wave runners in the back there of a lure of the seas. If you look down there below, so if you're watching a video, of course, 
the area kind of below the allure of the seas, uh, you know, kind of name right there. That's the boardwalk neighborhood area. So cool. You know, it's, it's like a almost like a Coney Island type thing. There's a carousel you can ride on the ship and you can walk around and you, you see all the stuff there. It's like walking around like one of these sort of, you know, kind of quaint uh, 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 boardwalk type situations. You've got the Central Park neighborhood on the ship. Uh, now, if you're watching video there as well, you see somebody kind of doing the stand up surfing there on the uh, on on the flow rider. I am not as good at that. I can I kind of can get down and do a little boogie boarding. I've done that before. I've never quite made it all the way to standing up, but it's great to be able to see that. And it's just a great reminder of what Allure of the Seas is and a great reminder of what our Dog Nation cruise is going to be like coming up in April. Limited chance, I would say, to still be a part of this. I think you might still be able to get on board. Uh, you can call Jessica and ask her, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. You can also email her, Slater at dreamvacations.com. Not only can she tell you about the Dog Nation cruise, but she can also tell you about the other brand new Oasis-class ship set to debut at Port Canaveral here this year. That is uh, a utopia of the seas coming up in July. And also the debut of Hideaway Beach at a, a part of Perfect Day Coco Cay. Uh, your chance to get on board Icon of the Seas. Those sailings have been taking place all year long here thus far. So many good, new, fun things happening in the Royal Caribbean. You have a great chance to be a part of all of that. So as we're cruising around the SEC here right now, courtesy of Royal Caribbean, I want to look at the rest of what ESPN wrote the other day about its sort of biggest questions for its way too early top 25 teams. We talked about our disagreement, perhaps, about, you know, Focusing on the Georgia secondary, we would say the Georgia defensive line is a bigger concern than that. You may even say the need to replace Brock Bowers and, and, and kind of replace the productivity that Bowers provided the program. You can make case that's a bigger deal. In fact, we I think we discussed that last week as part of our Dog Nation roundtables here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Palo Window and Door of Georgia. As far as other SEC teams, in the midst of all this right now, for uh, for Texas, who they have number four, the writer Dave Wilson says, what's the passing game going to look like? It's probably a fair question. Obviously, Texas has used the transfer portal to bring in a guy like Isaiah Bond as a replacement for, you know, A.D. Mitchell and what the program has been. A lot of weapons there for Quinn Ewers. But to me, once again, for Texas in its first year in the SEC, this is also about something a little bit different than that. You know, last year, the thing that made Texas sort of playoff worthy was the fact that they finally kind of showed some toughness along the lines of scrimmage, something that Texas and a lot of the Big 12 teams over the years had not really shown. And now you're coming into the SEC, recruiting your front seven defensively, probably recruiting your offensive line, you know, better than you have in the past. Is Texas ready for the rigor of the SEC with its with its lines of scrimmage? That to me sort of looms the big question there on that. You know, what is Texas going to be able to do along the line of scrimmage in a league that it's all about line of scrimmage in a way that the Big 12 never really was? The number six team in the ESPN way too early top 25 is Ole Miss. The question being asked the Rebels is. Will all of the team's transfer additions be able to transition easily? I think that is interesting when you have a team that the nucleus of which are guys who've been other places, that if things go south, you know, perhaps not feeling a very strong emotional tie to their teammates or an emotional tie to the actual, you know, location where they're playing, maybe either mentally or physically, they just sort of drift a little bit, which I think for Georgia is relevant because of when Georgia plays Ole Miss. Right now, on paper, Ole Miss is a preseason number six style team. That seems like an appropriate discussion to have. But as we've said before, you know, Ole Miss is still going to have depth threatened throughout the season. That, you know, quality transfers brought in to be starters, almost certainly some of those will be injured because that's just the way that football works. What does the Ole Miss depth look like after those injuries? And in addition to that, what is the team chemistry like when, if, if there is a loss or two that wasn't expected, you know, can they hold it together? In other words, is the version of Ole Miss that Georgia sees in November, or, no, November similar to the one we would say on paper right now? I think that is still to be determined. Missouri comes at number seven. Uh, the ESPN uh, crew there saying, what will the Tigers be able to have another strong defensive season? Obviously, a year ago, that was certainly the case. And then I'll mention one more here for a moment. How about Alabama down at number nine? Uh, simply put, can Kalen DeBoer deal with the pressure of his new job? Perhaps no bigger question than that. Obviously, right now, the things around Alabama feel a good bit different. Uh, you know, media makes a big deal. Assistant coaches talking to media, practice sessions open. There's no doubt that Kalen DeBoer is going to be his own man there. He's not going to be a carbon copy of Nick Saban. But, you know, how you treat the media and kind of how you behave on the periphery of the program 
uh, much less important than what you actually do on the field. And as we discussed yesterday, Paul Feinbaum even mentioning this, uh, there is obviously a sizable amount of pressure around Kalen uh, DeBoer in his first season on the job there. Shifting gears here for a moment, speaking of uh, Ole Miss, did you see where Jackson Dart, the uh, Ole Miss quarterback, has signed a uh, pretty fascinating NIL deal. It's going to be with one of these uh, private jet companies. He's going to get usage of a private jet here. Now, a lot of people who use, as they call them, the PJs, the private jets, a lot of these people lease these anyway. You know, it, uh, It's sort of maybe more cost-effective or certainly cash flow effective to, you know, rent your private lease, you know, a portion of a private jet or something like that. A lot of people who use private jets frequently don't actually own their own jet. So there's a lot of companies that sort of, you know, service this type of thing. But apparently Jackson Dart's going to be a endorser for one of those and get some access for it, I believe, you know, for his training activities, for his philanthropy was the word that was used. I'm not really quite so much sure how much of a philanthropist uh, Jackson Dart is, maybe more than I realized. But either way, sounds like Jackson Dart's going to get a little private jet usage here as a part of an NIL deal. And I have to confess, I'm pretty uh, pretty jealous of that. Uh, of all the, like, the really fancy things, like I, I have a fairly modest lifestyle for the most part. Um, I'm not as into like luxury stuff as maybe I would have been when I was younger. But I would love to fly on a private jet. I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, who wouldn't want to do that, right? The convenience, the 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 comfort, uh, the luxury. Uh, I, I, I'm assuming I'll live and die without ever giving a chance to, you know, getting a chance to do that. But of all the sort of nil things you hear about, like so and so got a Ferrari, I really don't care about that. Uh, <laughs> my big fat body, I'm not even sure it fit in a Ferrari. But uh, uh, but a private jet, I, I'm pretty jealous about that. Uh, that that sounds like something to be a pretty fun thing to be able to do. Speaking of Alabama, to go back to uh, uh, them here for a moment. So the big hot topic this week has been kind of related to court storming. The the Duke player got injured the other day, which is we, we don't like that. That's obviously a pretty serious thing. But I would say, broadly speaking, we're sort of pro court storming. Or maybe better said, we're kind of anti-court storming. Like the really hardcore anti-court stormers, I sort of find to be a little fascist or something. I don't, I don't really know. It's like, like, like how hard are you willing to work to like take the fun out of, the, uh, of sports? Now, listen, I've been, you know, Stegman Coliseum before, rare instances when the court could have been stormed. It gets a little crazy sometimes. I, I don't deny that. But... Like the people who want to go to like any ends possible to eliminate this from college basketball and the version of that in college football where you're you know running onto the field, I just find that to be a little bit much. Like I saw where Alabama athletic director Greg Byrne, you know, in addition to like arresting everybody who's involved in this, he wants the teams that that storm the the court to now forfeit. Like how would that work? Like what's going to stop you know so and so? Because there was this thing a few years ago with like uh, throwing stuff on the court, I think, and the, you know this thought of like. Well, is the person throwing the thing? Is it actual fan or is it like a person trying to sabotage? Like when you have the potential, the same type of deal here where you could potentially sabotage a team you don't like or something like that. So I don't quite know that I would go to those ends. Now, listen, I don't want to see people get hurt. And obviously some of this kind of stuff can be dangerous. And I guess, you know, by the letter of the law, it is, you know, trespassing. But as, you know, like Dan Patrick pointed this out and a lot of other people pointed out there too, you know, it's the TV who puts this stuff on, you know, during championship week, things like that. That's the sort of money shot at the end of every game. The fans rushing onto the court. That's the way the broadcast ends. Whether they do this on football all the time. You know, the Tennessee-Alabama thing, probably the most prominent. Sounds like, you know, going back to that, Greg Burns probably got more to worry about uh, with his own people than he does what happened to Duke. Uh, but the point is, uh, I don't know that I would want to go as far as, like, the forfeits and the arrest. I feel like the problem's probably not quite that serious. In the grand scheme of things, there's probably a lot more serious things happening around college athletics than that. And so we will now, for that, make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And as promised, a couple of great guests joining us on the program here today. Uh, a couple of uh, former Georgia players, Jake Kamarna, part of a 2021 Georgia National Championship team. His good friend Josh Moran, who was also a part of uh, Georgia football for a long time in a very interesting way. And they've got a big event coming up in uh, Athens here in a few weeks that we wanted to give them the platform to help promote here today there as well. So, gentlemen, I appreciate you being a part of the program. And, Josh, if you don't mind, I want to start with you here for a moment because 
I was kind of fascinated by your story here a little bit, just from the standpoint that you spent a long time in college football, including early days there as a, you know, coming out of the Milton High School program as a part of the Georgia program. I'm just sort of curious, first and foremost, what was it like seeing Georgia first being built up in kind of the Kirby Smart era? And I guess how quickly, as someone who's observing everything that's going on as you're going through the program, you know, how quickly were you becoming aware of? wow, this program has a chance to be a whole lot different than perhaps it's been in previous years. What was it like to be a part of seeing the foundation built the way that it was there? Yes, sir. I think it was really special. I actually remember our first year, we were at the bowl game. We were in Memphis, Mm -hmm. and um, I hopped on an elevator, and Coach Smart was on there with us, and he said, boys, we're going to the national championship next year. And so I knew after that he was extremely serious about making this a contender and it being a contender every year. And I got to watch him the way that he was dedicated to the sport was something that I had never seen. Um, his dedication to the little details made it really obvious, hey, this program was going somewhere and going somewhere fast. And his ability to recruit, too. I mean, he's so personable that I, I knew very, very quickly we were going to um, ascend in the college football realm. And so, Jake, the foundation that Josh got a chance to sort of see being built, you obviously reaped the benefits of that you know, as a part of a, a national championship team there at Georgia, you know, what are your memories of that? You obviously were a great contributor on that team and have, you know, kind of used that to be a springboard in the NFL here, there as well. But you're also a guy who has kind of a sort of best seat in the house, eyewitness account of history is it being made, one of the better teams in recent college football, you know, memory here. You know, what was, what was it like kind of being on the inside of that and, and being a contributor to a team that I think is going to be recognized as one of the best ever for for quite a long time. Yeah, I tell you what, you know, when I when I first got there, I got there the year after Georgia went to the national championship that first time and played Bama and lost. So when we when I first got there, it was tough. I mean, it was tough because you could tell that the foundation had been built and everybody was on the same page, everybody was rolling. Um and it was it was a it was a tough program to play in because that standard was already was made there from the guys that were there before us, um, and so as that went on, you know, we didn't have that chance my first year, my second year, or my third year, and we always felt like we were right there. And I I kid you not, I was talking to Coach Smart, a very similar story to Josh before um, my senior season, before the season even had even gotten going. This is probably in January of. Uh, uh, I think it was 2020 probably okay. after, after that, after my junior year. And he looks at me, he goes, we're going to win a national championship this year. Wow. I swear. That's what he told me. And I looked at him and I said, okay, wow. let's go. And I remember we went that entire year and that entire year, just it just felt different. The connection was different. And, you know, you'll hear stories about that team for forever. Um, but yeah, it was, it was cool seeing like how the foundation was built by the guys before us and then having our group be able to come in and try to carry that on and essentially do what hadn't been done in so long. And it was it was cool and it was really fun to be a part of. Well, what a great story. That's amazing to hear. And you know, Josh, speaking of great stories, one of the things that I find fascinating about your story is is the I guess the perseverance you showed to kind of, you know, get to where you would go in life in terms of, okay, you're at Georgia and you're there for a good bit of time. And, you know, obviously like a lot of players in the Georgia roster, you're sort of fighting for your spot and fighting for your opportunity. And then you see a chance, I believe it's to go to New Mexico state. You're gonna get some playing time there. Lo and behold, pandemic happens. And then that season doesn't take place. I believe if I have it right at that point in time, then you just started working. Like you're kind of out of college football and you're just working and then finally got a chance to go back and play for a, a terrific program, uh, Delaware. And after like seven years of college football, had a chance to record your first reception. What was that journey like, the highs and the lows of, you know, thinking of a chance to be out there in Las Cruces and getting a chance to, to, to play, and then the pandemic happens, and then finally seeing a chance to get back into college football again and playing, you know, for what is a, a really fun Delaware program that's obviously been a big part of the FCS scene for a long time. What was that journey like for you? That journey was awesome. I think it really shaped me into the man I am today. So I love honestly every part of it. And I'm actually thankful looking back. So I had a few season in injuries and that's why I got to play seven years and going through that every time it would happen. I realized, you know what, 
football can't be my identity. My identity has to be in the Lord because it, it's so easily taken away. And for me, when I was working, I was, and I was, I thought I was done with football. I'm like, man, that was a really weird career. Um, and I do remember getting the call like, Hey, the NCAA is going to let you play some more. Wow. Um, and that's where I visited Delaware. I remember the coaches up there were so personable and I knew nothing about that state, but I left. Um, and, and honestly, Delaware is one of my favorite places because of the people. Um, it was an amazing year. And uh, my whole football career, even at Georgia, like I loved every single guy I played with and and wouldn't change it for anything. Uh, my dad played at Georgia Tech. So it was funny when I decided to go to Georgia. He's like, what are you doing? Uh, <laughs> I just I just felt called to go there. And it was, you know, one of the best decisions of my life. We talked about this, uh, Josh, with uh, Stetson Bennett a little bit, you know. 18's pretty young, right? And by the time Stetson finishes his career at Georgia, you know, he's into his 20s there as well. And you sort of get the sense that the the experience and the seasoning you gain from kind of being around college athletics or just really being around life a little bit more. I mean, how different of a man did you feel like, a person did you feel like when you're in your 20s playing in Delaware from what you would have been when you're 18 when, I mean, gosh, you know, 18 just seems, especially for someone like me looking back on 18, just seems really, really, you know, young. Like, how different were you as a player, obviously, with the life experience you had gained by, you know, being granted the opportunity to kind of stick around the sport for as long as you were able to? You know, for me, I was actually closer in age to some of the coaches than my own teammates. So it was um, very ironic because I felt like another coach on the field for him. And I'd been through, you know, I'd seen some of the greatest players in our country play. And so for me, it was the ability to say, hey, this is kind of the standard of the people who are the best. I'd love to help you guys get somewhere close to that. So that's what it felt like for me. It felt like a, a year of mentorship, but really fun being the guy who was basically a grandpa on the team. All right, you guys have got a big event coming up. I want to hear a lot about that. Let me squeeze in one more with you, Jake, before we get there, though, because you've obviously left Georgia. You've gone to a terrific career with the Tampa Bay Bucks. We love seeing 74-yard punts and some of the stuff that you've been able to do there in a Tampa Bay Bucks uniform. But also a couple of years ago, you got a chance to play with Tom Brady. Now, I don't know you, I know you don't want to reveal like locker room secrets and things like that, but I am sort of fascinated by the idea of, you know, for you, this is a teammate, but it's also like one of the most famous people on the planet. A little bit like the way that like a Travis Kelsey would be treated this year. Tom Brady's sort of treated that way all the time. And, you know, clearly you knew a whole lot about him before he ever became, you know, one of your teammates there with the Bucks. What's it like as a player, which you are, to sort of compartmentalize this of, you know, this is not just the, you know, the guy that I see on TV all the time or the, you know, maybe the tabloids are always writing about. This is just a guy that I'm playing with. You know, what's it like trying to kind of make sense of, I guess, the the public persona that you would have already been aware of and the sort of private relationship that sometimes I'm sure players sort of form with each other? You know, it's funny. When I first got there, um, it was kind of one of those waiting games. It was like, you know, when's Tom going to show up? Um, <laughs> because you you never really you never really know, especially uh, in the NFL. You have the OTAs, which I are from for the most part are optional, and uh, you just don't know when he's going to show up. And I remember the day that he did show up, I was like, oh yeah, he's real. He, he's a real person. Wow. Um, and it was it was cool because <clears throat> getting to play with him, you realize like. He's famous, more famous than probably anybody you'll ever meet. But he really is like a, he's he's also like a normal guy. Um, and just getting to be around him was cool. I mean, he's a great teammate, obviously. Um, he's the greatest of all time, and I'll yeah. I'll stand by that. Haven't played with him, but uh, you know, he was great. Um, he was fun to be around. It was fun to, fun to see him outside of a light that everybody else sees him as. A lot of people hate him because he won sure. so many times. But it's also so cool to be around somebody who won so many times and see how they live their daily life and and the things that work for them and everything. And uh, it was great. I, I really did enjoy my time uh, being with him. Boy, that's awesome to hear. Uh, such a fascinating football life that both of you've led. And obviously, Jay, we continue to root for you there with the Tampa Bay Bucks, And we love the stuff that you're doing there. And also, I think a lot of people will be interested in something you guys have coming up in really just a few weeks. It's going to take place at Stegman Coliseum. Jake, I know you and I talked about this a little bit off the year yesterday, so I'll let you kind of you know, kind of kick this off here. You guys are a part of something coming up in April that a lot of folks around the UGA community in particular, but also just kind of the Athens area maybe there too, or maybe people all across the state that might want to come into Athens for it, an event taking place. I want to give you the platform here to sort of tell a little bit more about that and uh, kind of, you know, uh, who this might be for. Yeah, so we've got this. It's an inc- it's an incredible event. It's going to be called Unite Georgia. Um, and for some people hearing that that word unite, they might have kind of heard that before or maybe had an inkling about it. 
So it's an event essentially that started at the University of Auburn. Okay. A woman named Tanya Pruitt kind of really came up with this idea um, to bring together students and people all around the community together um, for a night of worship and hearing a message and just being able to unite together for one reason, which is uh, to worship Jesus. And that's something that me and Josh were talking about one day. And Josh was like, Jake, we've got to get this event down to Georgia. And I was like, absolutely. I think you're right. We got to do it. We got to make it happen. Uh, this city could totally, could totally use it. We'd love to see a revival happen in this city, a city that we love so much. And essentially we talked to Tanya about it and she was like, you guys, you guys think it could happen. You guys think we could, we could actually do it there. We were like, I'm, we're telling you, we're like, we, we got to make this happen. It can totally happen. The city would need it. It's going to be fantastic. Um, and so essentially, yeah, it's going to be an event. It's on April the 3rd. Uh, Josh, correct me if I'm wrong, 730. And it's going to be absolutely incredible. Um, Josh, I'll share a little bit more. Yeah, Josh, yeah, go, so, yeah, jump in here. Go ahead and tell us more about it. So what's been really cool to see is that at, at every one of these places, it turns into um, a lot of kids actually coming to know the Lord and then wanting to get baptized. It's something that um, I don't think has happened a lot. And I haven't seen a lot being in college for since 2016. Um, so it seems like God is doing something in our time where he's bringing hope back to people. And I think for me and Jake both, we've gotten to see Jake, for instance, is a very successful guy in the NFL. And you think growing up like, hey, if I attain that, then I'll have satisfaction in my soul. But what we've seen is like, you know, guys get to the top and then they realize, is there more? And I think the more for us has been Jesus. And so that's what we kind of want to give to this community where hey, it doesn't matter. Uh, what you look like, what age you are, who you are. We want you there. Um, we want this place to feel like um, it can come together in a way that it hasn't before. And so that's why um, we thought this would be a great event to bring here. And we thought, hey, why not do it at the place that we love in Athens? So the website people can go to is UniteUSMovement.com. That's on the screen there in front of you. UniteUSMovement.com going to be taking place. Give us the date one more time, April. April the 3rd at 730 at Stegman. So people can check that out online, UniteUSMovement.com to find out a lot more about that. Uh, Josh and Jake, it's been so much fun talking football with you here today. Uh, we appreciate you guys continuing to be involved in the UGA community here in the Athens area. I know people have loved the chance to uh, catch up with them. They love to see you guys using your fame and your platform to uh, impact the community here. So we appreciate your time and we'll invite folks to check that out for more. UniteUSMovement.com. Thank you so much for being here on Dog Nation Daily here today. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having us. Good stuff there. Josh Moran, Jake Camarda. Jake, of course, a part of the national championship team for Georgia there in 2021. Josh Moran, a guy who tells a fascinating story. I mean, how about both those guys, Josh and Jake, both saying that at different times, Kirby Smart, now this is not the kind of thing that Kirby Smart says publicly, but privately, Kirby Smart says, we're going to win a national championship. Saying that at the very beginning of his time there at Georgia and then right there with Jake, uh, prior to uh, you know that that you know championship season actually taking place, we're going to win a national championship there at UGA, and you love to see that. And he also loved the fact that you know so many Georgia players you know understand the fame they've been given and the way they can you know find a way to kind of impact their community and do some good. Obviously, the Athens community right now needs as much of that as we can provide them, and so uh, guys like that wanting to still be a part of this community. You always uh, love to see that. So great to have Jake Marta and uh, Josh Moran there as a uh, part of the program. Let me also squeeze in one more piece of news here. This is somewhat late-breaking. We probably haven't talked as much about this as we possibly should. But Pete Thamel, uh, putting this out on Twitter, we're in Indianapolis this week for the NFL Scouting Combine. At least most everybody is. We're sitting here in the studio. But uh, what uh, Pete puts out on Twitter is, is that NCAA officials are meeting in Indy this week to discuss the calendar change for signing day. So there's been some chatter as of late about moving this off of the end of December and now kind of moving it up. But there's also the possibility, I guess, other, uh, uh, you know, other potential opportunities, too, including maybe moving it all the way up to sort of the end of June, keeping in mind that June has become sort of the busiest 
month of all for official visits, the same way like wintertime would have been in kind of the pre-early signing period era. June sort of become the busiest month for early signing day. So perhaps that could kind of lead into a signing period there as well. Or other proposal, I believe it was Ross Dellinger had this of the day, the fact that it might move off the back end of December, more towards the front end of December. So it seems like there's some real movement here about getting the signing period off of the late part of December and something at a different time, either earlier in the month or uh, somewhere else at uh, at some point on the calendar. So it sounds like there's some real idea for change coming up on all of that. However, no need to change when it comes to our friends at the Finish Long Drink because it is as good today as it was when we first started talking about this years ago. And we'll uh, remind you to make sure you check some out. You can go to thelongdrink.com and put in your zip code to find out where you can pick some up today, whether it's the traditional version, it's the blue can, the grapefruit flavor, the gin kick, or you want a long drink uh, cranberry. Uh, that's a popular version there as well. Folks in my neighborhood have been liking that for a long time. Long drink strong, 8.5% alcohol by volume. Long drink zero, no carbs, no sugar. Just lots of varieties of the finished long drink for you to check out. When you go to the long drink. Dot com. You can also check out the story there, too, of kind of how it starts in Helsinki going back to the 1950s, how it ends up in America, now here in Georgia. A lot of celebrities kind of involved in kind of, uh, I guess, growing this over the course of years. And now it can be right there for you. In fact, if you put in your zip code at the website, you can find out where you can pick some up today. So find them online, thelongdrink.com. Of course, always fun to have the finished long drink as a part of Dog Nation Daily. So a little bit of an explanation for our golden shoe here today. Um, Some of y'all are good to help me out when I make just basic errors. I make a lot of them. I think for some of our vacation shows that we had last week, um, we had the Gator Hater Updater wrong a few of those days. It's just simple arithmetic, but I am not always good even at simple tasks. So we make pretty significant mistakes every now and then. We also apparently made one when it comes to numbering our episodes and this is kind of funny story i'll show you this on the screen so a guy named andy schuler and if andy's watching right now i do truly appreciate this or if you know andy you can tell him i said this uh andy schuler emailed but the only email he could apparently find was that of mike griffith so he emailed mike to say to mike hello i don't do social media and this is the only email i could stumble across could you tell ba the dog nation daily count on his podcast was missing all the 2140s I essentially skipped 2140 and went straight to 2150. I made a big error there. He says, I wouldn't want him celebrating his 3,000th show 10 episodes early, LOL. Thank you. Well, Andy, I truly do say thank you for that because these are the kinds of errors I would probably just make on a more regular basis if I didn't have folks to help keep me from making those mistakes. So, Andy, thanks for emailing Mike about that. Mike, thanks for uh, forwarding the email on to me. And we will give you a golden shoe for going to the trouble of letting us know that our episode count was wrong on uh, the platform there, but uh, we're happy to have that correct. And as soon as he told me that, I went in there and changed the episode. So sure enough, uh, I try to be responsive to those type of things. And we are now numbered and ordered exactly as we're supposed to be. So Andy, I appreciate that. Lousy stinking gators, the only number that matters for them, and this one is accurate, 1,208 days. That's how long they it's been since they have beaten Georgia. That is our Gator Hater Updater. We'll see all of you back here tomorrow on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Past Management.